Today we're kicking off a new series. Hope is your cure. In Job chapter 8, Job is having a discussion with one of his friends who brings up what is wrong in the world. And this friend was Bildad. And he said this in Job chapter 8, kind of 11 through 13. Those who forgot God have no hope. I want you to think about that for a moment. Those who forgot God have no hope. We see the proof of that everywhere we go in our culture, do we not? The further we get away from God, the less hope we have. Now the opposite is also true. The closer you get to God, the more hope that you are going to have in your life. In fact, the most hopeful people in the world are those who are the closest to God. But the opposite is true. The most hopeless people in the world are those who live the farthest from God. Now, people put their hope in a lot of different things. If you watch 24-7 cable news, you would think that the world revolves around Washington, D.C. Because people have put their hopes in politics, thinking if they could just get the right person in the White House, everything would be okay. Now, I can tell you this right up front. Our hope does not lie in any person in the White House. Our hope lies in putting in the man that we put on the cross. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. They are not our Savior. They may be a Republican. They may be a Democrat. They may be an Independent. They may be a Libertarian. But they are not our Savior. It is so interesting to me that when people don't have uh, when people don't have a higher power in God, they tend to make government their higher power because they can't think of anything greater that will change the world. We actually have something greater. We have God, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says those who forgot God have no hope. You see, here's what happens when a culture forgets God, wealth is idolized, truth is minimized, life is trivialized, abortion is legalized, TV is vulgarized, advertising is sensualized, our conscience become anesthetized, education is secularized, free markets are monopolized, races are polarized, sports are scandalized, morals are liberalized, courts are paralyzed, breakups of families are rationalized, manners are uncivilized, Christians are demonized, and God is marginalized. Is it any wonder that a lot of people don't have hope in our world? Those who forgot God have no hope. In this year of hope, I have a dream. I have a dream that you will personally be renewed in your hope with Jesus Christ. That it will refresh your walk and your talk with him. That your head will be lifted up because you know who is in control. That you won't be downcast. 
that you will be so renewed in your inner person with your walk with God and with your talks with God that it will overflow into a person or into a relational renewal with those in your relational world. That it will affect your marriages. That it will affect your families. That you will come together in your marriages, in your families, where you will be united. Where you will pray together. Where you will read and reflect on God's word together. That you truly, if you have younger kids, will be raising up the next generation for Jesus Christ. And that as you and your relationships are renewed, that it would overflow organizationally in our church. That our church would become more united and more focused on the purposes of God. Because that's what we're all about here. That we would become so sharp and so focused that as we leave the walls of this church, that it would impact our community. So that we would see missional renewal. So that we could begin to see a wave of change happen that our community needs and that our world needs. That's my dream. As we start our, our, our year of hope, I want to define hope for us, first and foremost. Because a lot of people think that what they think is hope is not hope at all. It's just wishful thinking. You see, hope is something far more theological. It is not psychological. It is theological. And today, what I want to do is I want to define hope for us. I want to take a look at the sources of hopelessness and the one answer to them all. I want us to hear a story of a person who went from hopelessness, Janae, she's a sweetie, to hope. And then I want to remember through the elements our hope. We got a lot to cover, so let's get going. First of all, what is real hope? Well, to understand what real hope is, we must first understand what hope is not. Hope is not optimism. Like I said, hope is theological. It is not psychological. Hope is telling yourself that things are going to be great when everything isn't. Uh, optimism is singing Orphan Annie's song, okay? The sun will come out tomorrow. Don't we wish it would all come out right now, right? But the sun doesn't always come out tomorrow. Optimism isn't always in touch with reality. Optimism is Pollyannism, which is false hope. It's telling oneself, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. In order to convince myself of something that is true when in my heart, folks, I know that it's not true. I mean, I could sit down to a, a table with a, a, a glass of water there, and I could believe that, that that glass of water is McDonald's coffee. I could believe that all I want. I could hope that. But it isn't going to turn that glass of water into McDonald's coffee for a little wake-up juice in the morning. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with optimism. Folks, I love optimistic people far more than I like pessimists. You know what I'm talking about? Those that always see the glass half empty, okay? I'm not against optimism. What I am saying is that optimism alone will not change the world that we live in. Optimism only works in things that you can control. I can be optimistic 
about the way I want Cheryl to feed me. From vegetables to meat. I, I, I could be optimistic and, and say, I think Cheryl's going to become a carnivore. She's going to become a carnivore. But that doesn't mean that she's going to become a carnivore. Because optimism only works on those things that you can control. And I cannot control my wife. Hope is different. Optimism says it's not as bad as you think. Hope says this, though. It is bad. It really is bad. It's real bad. In fact, it's never been worse. But I still believe. That is real hope. Uh, optimism oftentimes denies reality. You just went to the doctor and you just got diagnosed with cancer and you say, oh, it's not that bad. I, I, I'm just going to be positive. That's not hope. That's false hope. Does that, make, does that make sense? You see, actually the Bible says that there are three types of hope in this world. There is wishful hope, there is expectant hope, and then there is certain hope. There is wishful hope. Wishful hope is what most people mean when they use the word hope. Let me give you an example. Let's just say you've got to go to this meeting. You're running late. You're in your car. You see the light off in the distance. It's red, and you say, I hope that light turns green. That's wishful thinking. Wishful hope isn't going to change anything, folks. It's not going to change your world. And it's not going to turn that light green. That light's going to turn green as soon as it wants to turn green. That is not the kind of hope that God wants you and I to be building our lives on. The second kind of hope that the Bible mentions is a little stronger. And honestly, it's mentioned even more in Scripture. And it's called expectant hope. With expectant hope, there's some basis in reality rather than wishful thinking. Let me give you an example. Let's just say you're getting ready to plant a garden. You're preparing the soil. You're going to wait a few more weeks until it's prime time. But you're going to go out there and you're going to plant some seeds in the ground. And you're going to say, I hope they sprout. That's expectant hope. There's a reason for it. You did something. You planted a seed. It just wasn't wishful thinking. It's expectant. When a woman is called expecting, there's a reason for it, right? But you know, sadly, that even expectant hope doesn't always come true. Many of you have experienced the pain of a miscarriage. And so even though you were expecting, it wasn't a sure thing. That is why the Bible mentions the third kind of hope. The kind of hope that we are going to create a movement on. The kind of hope that God wants us to personally build our lives upon. And that is this, certain hope. Not wishing, not feeling, not simply expecting. Knowing for certain that you are going to have what you hope for. Certain 
hope. Now the Bible puts faith and hope together. In Hebrews chapter 11 it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Faith is the assurance of things not seen. It's the confidence of the things that we hope for that we can't see with our eyes. Faith and hope actually go together. You can't have faith without hope. Most people don't realize that. You have to have hope first in order to have faith. And that is why in our three-year vision, I started out with love because it is the greatest. But I switched from love then to hope because hope precedes faith. If you have nothing to hope for, then guess what? You have nothing to believe. If you don't have the hope of heaven, then guess what? You don't have to believe in heaven. So faith and hope go together. A lot of people know about faith. And a lot of people know about love. But many people don't know about hope. And that is why in the year 2018, we're going to drill down on what hope is and how to get it implemented in our lives. Let me give you just a few verses that we're going to cover just in the first third of the year. We're going to cover three verses in the third of the year, but we're going to drill down on them, okay? So here's the first one that we're going to take a look at. The, uh, Luke 18.1, Then Jesus taught the followers that they should always pray and never lose what? Hope. You circle the word pray. Well, you can't circle. It's not there. It's on the big screen. I have artistic license, okay? I get new thoughts all the time. Um, and, uh, so remember that. Look at Luke 18, 1 and just circle prayer and, and hope. Uh, take a look at Hosea 2, 15. I will return her vi- uh, vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. We're going to take a look at the first third of this year, the mental battles that we undergo as we struggle to become more hopeful. Don't miss that one. Psalms 52, 9, for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your, will you, well, just write this down, name, for your name is good. You see, our hope is in the fact that God is God and we are not, and he has all kinds of names to meet all kinds of hopeless conditions that we're going through. But for the rest of our time, let's take a look at this verse. Hebrews 6, verse 19. The certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. In certain hope, folks, there's no doubt. There's no hesitation. There's no reservation. There's no uncertainty. There's no saying, well, I'm hoping, but what if? You don't what if with certain hope. You don't say, well, what if I don't go to heaven? What if I don't make it? Folks, it doesn't even enter into your mind. When people ask me, George, are you saved? Are you heaven bound? Are you going to spend eternity with God? I said, absolutely. Well, how do you know that? I know. I know it because I know where my hope lies. Certain hope is sure. It is confident. It is guaranteed. The Bible says this is the kind of hope that God wants you and I to build our lives on. 
This is real hope. And this certain hope has three characteristics to it. Right out of this verse. Will you circle this word? Strong. It first says that it's strong. This certain hope is being, this certain hope of being saved is strong, meaning that it is solid. It is sure. It is steady. It is sturdy. It is unchanging. Circle the word trustworthy. It says that it's trustworthy, meaning that it's dependable, it's reliable, that you can bet your life on it. Circle the word anchor. This salvation that we have is anchored. Will you circle that word? What is the purpose of an anchor? Why does, it, why does my soul need hope that is, that as an anchor? Well, some people have said it like this. You and I could live for weeks without food. And as I look at the congregation, I think some of us could live a year. But we can live weeks without food. We can live days without water. We can live minutes without air. But you and I can't live one single second without hope. We need hope to cope. If we don't have hope, we die. And when we don't have hope personally, we begin to die little Then our relationships begin to die little by little by little. And then our culture goes to hell in a handbasket. We've got to have hope. So it says, hope is the anchor of our soul. What is the purpose of an anchor? Twofold. First, it keeps a ship from drifting. And secondly, it adds stability to that ship in a storm. You and I need both of those things. We need an anchor so that we don't drift. And we need an anchor for when the storms of life hit us so that we're stable. And the stronger your hope, the less you will drift in life. And the more stable you will be, regardless of what the world throws at you. And the Bible says you and I need hope as an anchor to our soul. It does not say that you and I need more money. It does not say that we need more popularity or prestige or position or privilege or power. It does not say that we need a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It says that we need hope. Now with an anchor, for it to be effective with a ship, it has to have Something tied to it, a chain. If it, that, that chain determines how far that ship will drift. Without, without that chain, that, that ship can drift anywhere, can't it? It can even drift into troubled water. And that chain is God and what he has said. It is easy, is it not, to drift? It's easy to drift away from the goals that you have. Where are we at? I don't know. Good month into the year with our New Year's resolution. It's easy to drift away from the person that we love. It is easy to drift away from the family of God. 
It is easy to drift away from the dream that God has placed in your heart. And we are constantly drifting in life. And we do not have an anchor. And the anchor of our soul is hope. The other purpose of an anchor is it gives stability in a storm. When you let down an anchor in the middle of a storm, it reduces the pitch and the roll of the church. It adds stability. Take a look at these pictures here. To the left, or yeah, to the left is, I don't know, some little yacht. It's got a little anchor. You can see that little anchor. And it looks to me that there's just a rope holding that anchor. Kind of pretty flimsy, okay? In the middle, you see the biggest chain that anchors, the biggest anchor of CY's ship in the world. The anchor is called Steve Shark. It is 75 tons. Every link in that chain is 500 pounds. Do you see those circles up there, the far right corner of the, the, the 75 ton anchor? Those circles are little men. Here's my point. The bigger your ship, the bigger your anchor needs to be. Meaning that if you just want a little life, a little puny life, if you just want to exist, you don't need a big anchor. Culture will just all, all over the place. But if you want a big life, if you want a significant life, if you want a life of abundance, you need a big anchor. Because as you seek to live that life of significance, there are going to be storms that are going to come your way. There's going to be financial storms, moral storms, ethical storms, mental storms, emotional, physical, vocational. You're going to have all those kinds of storms. And so if you want to live a significant life, you better have a big anchor. An anchor that will keep you from drifting and an anchor that will bring stability in a chaotic life. Question is this though, where do you get it? You see, most people when they are in a storm, when they are discouraged, when they are depressed, when they are in despair, they look for the closest thing that they can put their hope into. Maybe it's shopping. We're in Dallas. This is the Mecca of shopping right here. You know what? I'm feeling a little discouraged. I'm going to just go out and spend some more money. That's why we have Financial Peace University to give you hope. We've got all kinds of classes. We're starting them now. Just wait. We're going to care for our church, and we're going to care for this community. Because people are looking for hope. But they put hope in the wrong places. Shopping. I'm from the 70s. Drug, sex, and rock and roll, okay? Entertainment, eating. And God says, no, 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 no. That is not where you need to put your hope. You don't need wishful hope and you don't need expectant hope. You need certain hope. How do you and I get it? Well, will you write this down? Real hope is based on God's word, not my wishes. That's the chain, folks. Real hope is based on God's word, not my wishes. Hope is not based on what I sense. It's based on what God has said. Real hope is not based on my emotions. Real hope is based on what God has spoken. 
Real hope is not based on my imagination. It's based on what on God's obligations and what he has said. And certain hope is based on the fact that God cannot lie. That whatever he has said in his word, you and I can take it to the bank. People ask me all the time, Pastor George, is there anything that God can't do? I said, sure, God can't lie. God can't deny himself or he wouldn't be God. God is self-limiting because of his own character. And God always tells the truth. What you and I have in the way of a physical Bible, what you and I have in the way of our iPhone Bibles is truth. The devil is the father of lies. And sometimes lies are a lot of fun, right? <laughs> Ooh, this feels good. But it's only for a season. And it only brings more chaos into our life. But Jesus speaks the truth. There are over 7,000 promises, and all of them are yes in Christ Jesus. And when you and I put our hope in them, what we get is certain hope. But when I put my hope in emotions, or in my friends, or in my intellect, or in my talents, or in the circumstances of life that are around me. What I get is either wishful or at best expectant hope. It's sure in the world isn't certain hope. Now let me give you an example of what it means to have certain hope by putting your faith not in what you feel, but what God has revealed. Not in what you and I wish, but in his word. Hebrews 6, 13 through 19, says this. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham is, so to speak, the forefather of our faith. He made a promise, said, Abraham, you're going to have a kid, and through you, you're going to be the father of many nations. He gave him that promise when he was 75 years old. And Abraham waited patiently for it. Now, let's stop here, and let's just take a look at this thing. He's saying here that God is not a vending machine where you and I just throw in a quarter and we get immediately what we want. No, he gives you and I a promise. As I like to say it, he gives you a dream and you make a decision to go for it. But then after that happens, there is difficulties and delay and the death of a vision before there's deliverance. Why does God do that? To grow your faith. Let's go on. So he received what God promised. People always use the name of someone greater than themselves when they make an oath. Now, let me explain this. Have you noticed that there are some people who use Jesus' name far more than you and I who believe in him? Have you noticed that? What is that all about? Well, let me kind of couch it like this. They get angry. They get mad. And they swear. Jesus Christ, will you leave me alone? God, can, can you just get out of here? What is this about? Well, why are they bringing Jesus and God into the situation? I'll tell you why. People always use a name of someone greater than themselves when they make an oath. And swearing is an oath. When someone talks to you in a reasonable way, you're not intimidated by it. But when someone swears at you using God's name... You get intimidated. Why? Because there is power in Jesus' name. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on. God wanted to prove that his promise was true to those who would get what he promised. And he wanted them to understand that his purpose never changes. So God made an oath. 
You might circle that phrase, purposes. Now, that's why we're a purpose-driven church. The purposes of God are eternal. He has declared them. They will always exist, okay? And he goes on. Now, there are two things that are unchangeable. God cannot lie when he makes a promise, and he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us. They give us strength to hold on to the hope that we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It is sure and it is strong. This whole passage is talking about what I've been trying to explain to us over the last, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. That certain hope isn't based on our feelings. That certain hope is based on God's word, on the promises of God. It's not based on what you think or I think. It's based on what God teaches through his word. And God's word cannot lie because it comes right from the heart of God. It's certain. And this is the hope that God wants us to build our life on. This is the hope that is an anchor to our souls. And it is strong and it is sure. And it is trustworthy and it is true. Now one day, Jesus gave a key to hopelessness. And we're gonna drill down on this verse in the next five weeks. Jesus, Luke 18, one, Jesus taught his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Will you circle the phrase, always pray and never lose hope? Every single minute, moment of your life, you are doing one of those two alternatives. When bad stuff hits you, you are either panicking or you're praying. You're either worrying or you're worshiping. Jesus says we should always pray and never lose hope. God never wants you and I to lose hope in any situation. How do you and I do that? By praying. Truly the first step in personal renewal is praying. It's talking to God. And over the next five weeks, folks, I'm going to teach you how to pray. I've been practicing these things for years. I'm going to teach you how to pray over the promises of God, God's word. I'm going to teach you how to pray and seek God through prayer and fasting. I'm going to ask our church in a couple weeks to take one day and we fast the whole day and seek God. And I'm going to challenge us to fast a whole week of watching cable news. I'm going to teach you and I how to pray a breakthrough prayer. Not a normal prayer. There's normal prayers. Those are great prayers. But how to pray a breakthrough prayer. Some of us need a breakthrough. I'm going to teach us how to pray confidently. When, when it comes to my, my small group and it's prayer time, they, they look at me and they look at me. George, you're the professional. Because we don't feel confident in praying. I'm going to teach you how to be confident in prayer so that you can pray. And then lastly, how to pray persistently. Now let me give you the top 10 most common hopeless situations and the one antidote for all of them. When you feel alone or abandoned, Jesus said, I am the way, I am with you. When you feel powerless to change the situation, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. When you feel purposeless, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. When you feel a major loss, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. 
When you feel you don't have what you need, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When you feel guilt or regret for something wrong, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. When you feel deeply wounded, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you feel pulled in different directions, Jesus said, Follow me. When you feel terror, Jesus said, Don't be afraid, take courage, it is I. When you feel defeated, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Folks, we feel hopeless for a lot of different reasons, and we're going to cover those in the next year. But there is one antidote, and that is to have Jesus be the anchor of your soul. And I want you to hear Janae's story, how she went from hopelessness to hope. Take a look at this. My name is Janae, and this is my story. I've struggled with depression a majority of my life, along with the feelings of just hopelessness, um, despair, and an inner emptiness and shame. I was never really raised in the church. I had a more secular viewpoint of who God was, but I didn't really believe because ultimately I was atheist yet still looking for something to validate my existence in some way, shape, or form. And so I made a pseudo-savior out of my relationships, whether it be a family member, a friend, or especially the one, you know, <laughs> who's gonna just rescue me from all of this. What I realized is that no one person could actually sustain that or fulfill it because we're all flawed and broken. And with each failed relationship, I just internalized it and took that as my self-worth, which was worthless. And so it was around that time um, that I started planning out my fourth attempt at suicide when a friend brought me to Lifeline with a class called Character on Purpose. It was in that class that I paid attention for the first time to who Christ was, what he meant to the world, and just the Bible in general. And I was able to intellectually accept the fact that Christianity and Jesus was real. This class encouraged us to explore Christianity from the inside out and to drop it from your head to your heart and engage it with your whole emotion and your whole heart. And it was at that point that my life really made a pivotal change. And it was the first time that I've ever really fully let myself believe that there's another way that, that's outside myself and that's true. And it also made me realize that I don't think I ever really knew what hope and joy actually meant because it's completely different from happiness. It's awesome as well as terrifying at the same time because you're giving up your right to control your life, your right to make decisions for yourself. That can be a little, a little scary at times, but in truth, 
it's comforting to know that it's not in your hands. And with that, peace comes along. Every decision I make now has this new perspective. And I've had to rethink a lot of decisions I've made in the past, as well as make some hard changes. But compared to the peace and joy and hope that Christianity has given me, those poor decisions seem insignificant. And those hard choices of change that I've had to make um, are tempered by that hope. And so it's a lot easier to do, and it still leaves you with peace and joy. No matter what may come my way, my life is so much more meaningful and fuller now, knowing that God loves me for who I am, as I am, has been incredibly liberating. That love and grace is just immeasurable, but the best part is the hope. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. Go, Jesus, because another life has been spared. Go, Janae. She's involved. She's involved in the ministry, helping us in communications, sharing her faith with other friends. Jesus is the anchor, and we need it. Now, I don't know what feelings of hopelessness you're struggling with today. Janae struggled with discouragement, depression, to the point of ending her life. I want to share three thoughts with you. And a promise, and then a final thought. Whatever you're thinking doesn't mean that what you're thinking is true. I think a lot of thoughts that aren't true. Just because I think them doesn't make that thought true. Secondly, whatever thoughts that you may be thinking of acting on doesn't mean that you should act on those. You need to challenge your thoughts. We will do that in this series. As I like to say, you gotta believe your beliefs and you gotta doubt your doubts. You gotta, instead of believing your doubts and doubting your beliefs. But then number three. Well, two out of three isn't bad. But number three is this. Just because you feel the way you feel doesn't make it true. Feelings are neither right nor wrong. They're just feelings. But feelings aren't truth. Truth is truth. And whatever feelings of hopelessness that you have, you need to bounce those off the promises that are found in God's word. And I want to give you my promise that's taken me through a lot of stuff in my life. Take a look at Isaiah 43, one through three. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord. Final thought. Stop listening to your feelings and start praying and listening to the promises of God. Stop listening to your feelings and build the the chain that is anchored to the truth, the word of God and the promises that are there in your life and your hope will rise. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you that you are the hope of the world, that in you, God, all things are possible, that you can change us and help us to be the kind of person that we want to be. That we can have the kind of marriages that you want us to have. That we can have the kind of relationships that we so desire with our kids and our extended family. That we can be the kind of church, God, that you have called us to be in this world, Collin County, Plano, Texas. To reach people, to impact and change this world for Jesus Christ. And so God... We give you this message. We give you our lives. God, we look to you to do a mighty work in us in these next five weeks. We give this to you in your son's name.